If you would turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6, we've come now to the conclusion of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we're going to begin this morning by reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 24. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We come to Ephesians 6, verse 10, and the word finally marks the conclusion of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. As we think back on all the things that we've talked about over the past three months, we've talked about our new life in Christ and how the Lord has made peace, bringing us into one body through Christ and his death on the cross. We've talked about what it means to live out the, the Christian life and what God calls us to walk in. And then we come really to Paul's final charge. If you want to think of the bottom line, what does Paul want to leave the people of God with? And he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You and I need to be strengthened in the Lord. For as the scripture tells us in many places, uh, Psalm 62, 11, power belongs to who? Power belongs to the Lord. 
And we read in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 that we have this treasure in jars of clay that the surpassing power for the to show that the surpassing power rather belongs to God and not to us. No one else can save us and protect us and keep us and give us new life. So where are you drawing your strength from? No matter what it is, whether we think of our of your intellect or power or charm, beauty, eloquence, having a, a good reputation or financial security, none of that will ever be enough. None of that will enable us to stand against evil and the temptations that come our way in life. So I ask again, where are you drawing your strength from? Because the only source of lasting strength is in our relationship with the Lord and being drawing strength from Him, looking to Him for help to be the one who can make us able to leap over the wall and to take on the enemy, to stand firm in an evil world. We cannot win the fight without the Lord of hosts on our side. And so we must depend on Him. And that's why in verse 11 it says to us to put on the whole armor of God that He has given to us in Christ so that we can stand with all that He has given us. Here in verse 11, Paul introduces this word picture of a, of a soldier putting on all of his gear. You know, imagine a soldier going out to battle and saying, I don't need my equipment today. I'm just going to go with my bare hands. And I'm going to face the enemy. It wouldn't work so well. In the same way, we as followers of Christ need all that God has given us and to look to Him for our strength in the fight. The imagery of armor comes up uh, in other places in the Bible. It's not unique to Ephesians. This is the most famous one, perhaps, but... Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. He says, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 7, Paul speaks about the weapons of righteousness on the right hand and, and for the left, covered on all sides. And then in 2 Corinthians 10.4, he, he uh, clarifies for us, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They don't have a human origin or human strength. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. God has given us so much in Christ. And he calls us to take up these things in dependence on him. There's other places that the armor comes up in the Bible. You know, often we, we compare the outfit to the Roman soldiers, which no doubt the people could relate to. They saw the soldiers in the armor that they would have had. And 
and Paul would have known about their armor. But the biblical imagery goes back even farther. In Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, we read about this imagery of God coming down as a divine warrior to save his people. The Lord of hosts comes and he invades this bleak and war-torn land of, of Judea with his awesome presence. And the chapter in, in Isaiah 59 opens with this description of the nation of Israel. They're groping around in the dark. There is no justice in the land. It's a hopelessly evil con condition that they're living in. And there doesn't seem to be any hope. But the Lord comes. And Isaiah 59, 16 says, He saw there was no man and there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness. It sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Folks, We've been given the righteousness and holiness of Christ to wear and to walk in. We have the Lord as a warrior on our side in Christ. And so we're called to act in faith and to do what is right and good depending on Him. The imagery of the Lord and His armor of righteousness and salvation reminds us of something very important. That we cannot do this alone. But it also encourages us that we can act in faith. And trusting in the Lord. For the same God who comes down as a mighty warrior, pictured that way, came and He died on a cross. Rising again in victory, so that we would be clothed in His righteousness, the righteousness that He Himself wears, and so that we would walk in obedience and in His strength. Verse 10, Paul leaves us with this charge that, that we must be strengthened in the Lord. In verse 11, he talks about how we are to be strengthened in taking up the weaponry that he supplies. That is, is taken up in dependence on him. And in verse 12, we learn why we need to be strengthened. Why do we need the Lord's strength? Why would I bother taking up this armory? Why do I need truth and righteousness and the word of God? Well, it's simple. We face a spiritual fight against evil and we live in an evil day. Verse 12 tells us we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now that doesn't mean there's not flesh and blood forms of evil. People put, put flesh and blood on evil all the time. But there's something greater behind all of this. So it says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The devil, 
and those with him hold sway over this world. Therefore, we need the Lord's strength so that we may be able to stand against the devil's strategies. I want to say a brief word on the devil's strategies because we're warned elsewhere not to be ignorant of his designs. Jesus said to us that the devil is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. This is the way that he operates. This is part of who he is. You can find that in John 8, 44. Even the name of, of, that we give to him, Satan, the, the Bible calls him, describes him perfectly, for it means adversary and slanderer. And so the devil works by lying and accusing and destroying. And we must become acquainted with the subtlety of the devil's lies For he is well acquainted. He's had thousands of years to cultivate appearing like an angel of light. The evil, the deception, the power of the devil, the spiritual forces of evil in this world should not surprise us. We ought to spend more time than we do about thinking about the way the devil works. Knowing the lies that he uses. To be prepared to counter them. For this is what Paul in 2 Corinthians is talking about in in chapter 10 when he speaks of the weapons of warfare. He's talking about the battle in our minds and, and the truth of God. And the word of God which can... Tear down the strongholds and the things that we believe. But just as much as the power of the devil should not surprise us, neither should it scare us. For dominion and power belongs to the Lord. And what we're told to do in response to this knowledge is very simple. It is found in verse 13. Therefore, stand therefore, or yeah, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So again, we're told we live in a world dominated by evil. As it was in the days of Noah and Babylon and Rome, so it is today. There's nothing new under the sun about evil. All the more reason then to do what Paul calls us to do, which is to take up all the weaponry God has given to us. And it says, then he goes on to say, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. So begins verses 14 to 20, where Paul reveals to us these weapons of our warfare which we are to know and to, to understand and to put our faith and dependence in God and then take action in faith. The first weapon of our warfare, verse 14, is truth. 
You know, I think it's important that when we look at the Word of God, we look at it in context. And the book of Ephesians, all these things really, when we look at them, the armor of God, we can look at Ephesians and other places in the Bible and understand what is truth, what is righteousness, and so on. And Paul defines truth for us and its source in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. He says, the truth is in Jesus. We can't separate the truth. It's not some form of doctrine. It's, it's something that is found in the person of Jesus Christ and his saving work. That is what holds us together. And the truth is of no protection unless we hang our lives upon it. Believing it and therefore living the truth of Jesus Christ in dependence on him. Do we need to look to Jesus and who he is and all that he has done? Understand and make sense of life. And as we went on to see in Ephesians 4, the truth is no good if it's not lived. And so we by faith are to live the truth that we know. Applying it to our lives. Depend on the truth that is found in Jesus Christ and applying it to our lives is the first weapon we have in our arsenal. So we ought to apply ourselves to knowing Him and walking in His ways. Always remembering that we depend on Him for life. The second weapon that we have in our arsenal is also found in verse 14, and that is righteousness. And how does the book of Ephesians, how does Paul describe righteousness? He, he says in Ephesians 4, 22, the very verse after he spoke of the truth, he says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Christ's battle strategy is for us to do what is right and good and to say what is true and is helpful. And this comes from dependence on his righteousness. This is not about justifying ourselves and making ourselves righteous, but it is about living in the righteousness of Christ. The imagery here, as we saw uh, previously, what is from Isaiah 59, where God comes armed with righteousness. We need to depend on his righteousness. And so to live a, a righteous life is to depend on the power and righteousness that Christ has given us. An independence on him, we are to take action by the Spirit to stand firm in what is right and to walk in what is good and right and true and pleasing to the Lord. 
In verse 15, we come to the next um, item, the next armor piece, and that is the gospel of peace. Listen to how Paul describes peace and how it relates to the gospel. If you turn just a couple pages back in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, verses 13 to 17, Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. Our unity is is described here as peace. And this comes through the proclamation of the gospel. Peace is what is preached in the gospel. The emphasis here on readiness is this idea of being ready, being prepared, being able to stand firm. And how do we stand firm? How are we ready? It's grounded in the unity and the peace the gospel creates. As we remember the gospel and the peace that was bought at the cost of the blood of Christ, we become ready to stand firm. Peace with God and with one another. And the knowledge of this is what enables us to walk through a life that is uphill and down and foxholes and and to continue on in the fight because our dependence is on him and what he has done for us. In verse 16, come to faith. And the shield is a frequent image in the Psalms. I think uh, exactly 20 times is what I counted, where it is used as a description of God and his protection. One example found from the beginning of Psalm 18, which we read this morning, is that uh, Psalm 18, verse 10. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. So you see how Jesus, God, is the one who protects, and we take refuge in Him. And that is what faith does. Faith looks with confidence on the one who protects us. So you can have faith in all kinds of failed shields and looking for refuge in all kinds of other things. But the shield of faith is looking to the God who protects us against the fiery darts of life that come. This is how Jesus Christ took up the shield. He was dependent and confident in his Father, and he walked in obedience. 
didn't have fear of the devil's schemes. Even when asked to give up his own life, he could trust God because he knew that he would protect him. Nothing can quench the faith that looks to God as their shield of protection. And so we're to put our trust in the Lord at all times. To take action. To depend on Him. Even when life around us is going crazy. In verse 17, we read of the helmet of salvation. Where is salvation found? Salvation is found in no other name than the name of Jesus. And there is power in that name because of all that he has done and all that he is. We have great confidence and protection and assurance in Jesus' work of salvation which we do not create, but we receive from Him. And we remember. When I think about the devil's lies and accusations, nothing protects us from these things, from our, protects our minds and our hearts, quite like remembering the salvation that Jesus has bought for us with his own blood, which he guaranteed for us by rising from the dead. We forget this and we lose confidence. We falter. We must cling in every way to the salvation found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we come now in verse 17 again to to the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Jesus' use of the Word is, of course, something you've heard before. It's often talked about in the context of this passage, but how he used the sword of the Spirit to deal with Satan's lies when he was tempted in the wilderness. And three times he was tempted and three times he responded from not his own great wisdom, but the Word of God, the very Word of God, which he himself is. And he stood firm confident in what God said and able to recall the word and to apply it correctly. If you're not able to recall the word and to apply it correctly, it's a little bit like having the sword on the mantelpiece. And you know, when the intruder comes, you got to scramble up, you get your step stool out and you got to, you know, (laughs) by the time you got your sword, it's What I'm saying is we need to know the Word of God. And uh, Jesus Christ knew the Word. He is the Word, and we can look to Him. 
Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2 declares, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on whose law he meditates day and night. And it goes on to describe the difference between the one who relies on the word is like a tree planted by streams of water growing and flourishing. And to wicked, those who ignore the word of God, just like chaff that blows in the wind after the harvest. Having the word of God on our minds and in our hearts is like having that sword sharpened and ready by your side. You've taken it up and you're ready to use it. Practically speaking, in what ways should we take up God's word? Well, obviously, reading it is an important thing. We kind of need to start there. And we think about it, too. The word meditation really means to, to ponder and to think over in our hearts, in our souls, deeply about what it's saying. What is God saying? We can memorize things and learn it by heart so that it's there, we're ready. We can remember it. And thirdly, discussing the Word of God. I keep coming back to this question as I think about the Word of God. Do God's words come up in my thoughts and discussion? Are they a central part of your thoughts and conversation or merely an afterthought? It tells a lot about where we're at and what are we relying on. It's important for us to consider these things. To take action to be ready with the word of God. And so I must ask you guys now to think about how do we put the armor on? How do do I put the armor on? And I've said a lot about the armor, but not, not too much about how to wear it. Part of that is because what Paul is doing, he doesn't, he gives us the truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, and he's not like giving a long explanation. So he's giving us the tools, helping us to see what we need, showing us where to go without giving us a formula. But that means that we need to think on these things and to consider what it means to take up the armor. At its core, to take up these things involves faith. It involves that dependence upon the Lord's strength. Seeing how all of these things are found in him. I didn't maybe spell it out clearly, but I hope you could see how Jesus Christ exemplifies all these things. And we can look to him. Asking God for the grace to walk in truth and righteousness and to wield the word by the spirit. In faith, we depend on God and we take action. 
Let me put it this way. If, if you don't know the truth and you don't depend on the truth and you don't take action on the truth, you're not wearing the belt of truth. If you don't know righteousness, if you don't depend on God's righteousness and you don't take action in righteousness, then you're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness. And we could think of it that way with each of these pieces of armor. Taking up the weaponry of God involves our, our whole being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And for some of us, we may have knowledge there, but, but there is little action on that knowledge. And others, maybe we are strong on, on action, but where is that the knowledge that, that, that guides us and, and forms the foundation for living for God? All of us in our inner being, in our hearts, must depend on God to apply the truth, to put on a righteous life, to stand firm in the good news of peace. Taking up our faith in God, receiving and remembering the salvation Jesus brings and, and wielding the soul-piercing word of God. To us consider these things, to know them, and to depend on them and their source, which is God, so that we can learn to take action and to, to do these things, to actually live the truth and live a life of righteousness, an example to the world, an example of faith and our dependence on God and, and, and knowing and using the word of God well. We're to sum it up, we, we fight with all the weapons that are found in Jesus, and we depend on him for the strength to stand. But in our dependence, we must consider how to take action in faith, because the knowing of these things is like having the armor there on the shelf, but we must take action to put on the armor of God. And to continue to remember and apply these things to our lives. But Paul isn't done yet. He concludes with something that's not attached to a piece of armor, but that is no less important. And in fact, uh, this is our memory verse for the month. And uh, that is prayer. Which is yet another reminder. Where does our strength come from? Who, where do I look to? I look to the mountains from whence, where does it come from our help? The, does our help come from the mountains? No, it comes from the Lord, the maker of the mountains and of the heavens and the earth. So prayer is an act of dependence on God. And we're told to pray always in, in every season, every moment to ask for God's help. With all prayer and supplication. In the Spirit, persisting in every request, asking Him by the Spirit. And who we pray for? Do we just pray for that poor soul over there and <clears throat> for all the saints? Paul himself puts himself there, and I think sometimes we forget that, and we need 
to pray for one another. We need to pray even for those Pauls. Paul requests for boldness in declaring the gospel. Something I, I read that and I'm convicted because that's usually at the bottom of my prayer list. But uh, here, this is the one prayer re- request that Paul highlights as important. Because it's the gospel which we could sum up all the armor of God under that heading. The good news of Jesus Christ, all that he has done and given to us in his victory. And so we need to be bold in declaring the gospel and knowing the gospel. Some final words from Paul we see in verses 21 to 24. Paul wants the people to know about what's going on. He's like, they care about Paul, right? They want to know about how you're doing. And uh, so he sends Tychicus, a man that we only know as as a beloved and faithful man, to relay this news and to encourage their hearts. Bringing with him this letter. We have a final benediction, this prayer for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying, an incorruptible love. How do we love the Lord? Do we love him heart, soul, mind, and strength? We give our all to him. In summary, then we must be strengthened in the Lord taking up all the spiritual weaponry that God has given us so that we may be able to stand in the evil day. There is a battle raging. But praise God that we are not alone in the fight. Think of the words of Martin Luther who wrote the hymn, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing were not the right man on our side the man of God's own choosing dost ask who that may be Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. For his kingdom is forever.
And so we must remember these things as we go out into the world and we face battles in our hearts, in our lives, and the things around us. We can trust in the Lord and be strong in Him. He has given us all we need. I want to close with the benediction of Paul in Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. It says this, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible.